I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. On today's show, writer and comedian Jordan Firstman. We talk about the business side of becoming Instagram famous. The temptation of numbers is so, is so nuts. Because you're just like, I can't lose. I can't lose people. I remember when I was at like 80,000 followers and I was like, I'm going to chill out when I get 100,000. Like, I'm good. And then like that turned into like 200, then 300, then 400. Now I'm like, I got to get a million. And like it never, it never ends. Body image. I do want to start to shift the perception that like, you can be really sexy and have some body fat and like not be jacked and be super hairy everywhere and be smelly. <laughs> the need for more support within the gay community. I think women have at least figured out how to fake it and show up and support via numbers. I don't need to be happy for a gay thing that I don't think is good, but I do think if I want to see more gay things, I need to show up and watch it at least. And reconciling his past with his present. We're in a place where we're accepting of all of the past Jordans. New Jordan is different. He's a different guy, but we have love for all of the old Jordans as well. Shut up, Evan. Shut up, Evan. Shut up. Evan, if that is your real name. Hey guys, what's up? It's Evan Ross Katz, and you are listening to Shut Up Evan, a podcast about gay shit and internet culture. I'm Evan Ross Katz, joined once again by my producer, Matt, aka Stormageddon. Matt, the sun is shining. Vaccine season is upon us. Uh, how are you feeling? I'm feeling okay. Uh, I'm very excited as of when we are recording. I am getting my first shot, and I'm very excited to, as my friends have been saying a lot, hug the homies. Mm. Uh, I miss my friends a lot. Um, for the listener, a little inside baseball, Evan and I started working together remotely. We have yet to hang out in person, and so I'm very excited to actually get to spend some time with Evan, hopefully post-vaccine, outdoors somewhere with masks on, just in case, because you never know. I know. I feel like it's 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 a... We're about to enter a slippery slope in terms of starting to see lots of like social media of people interacting and hugging and non-mask wearing and all of these things, which are perfectly fine for those who are vaccinated, but it just starts to get... It's, it's a tricky uh, tightrope that we're on in terms of how much we want to talk about vaccine distribution because there are so many yeah. disparities in terms of who is accessing the vaccine. But at the same time, it's super exciting 
to have the vaccine because of what we've all collectively been through this last year. It's complicated. I'm interested to sort of see um, the speed with which we can get this vaccine uh, into people, at what point we can reach herd immunity, and at what point we really can comfortably say that we've rounded the corner on this. And by this, I mean all of the things that uh, are summed up with this. Um, But that's super exciting. Um, I want to start off today by congratulating the newly crowned RuPaul's Drag Race UK season two winner, Lawrence Cheney, on a very well-deserved win. I think that for any listener out here who was on the uh, RuPaul's Drag Race UK season two journey, it was just... I mean, it was just appointment television. It was so feel good. We got UK Hun, which I know that we spoke about several weeks ago on the pod, but we really got so many moments on that show um, that brought tears to my eyes, that made me so proud to be a part of this community, to be so proud to... uh, get to like have this art form drag that is really uh you know prominent within our community that really comes from our community there was just 12 queens on this show all of whom i and i think so many other people fell in love with and i encourage any of our listeners who i get a lot of this uh with with drag race where it's kind of like oh i've never seen it where should i start um as many listeners know i am a completist by nature i say you got to start from the beginning and you can't skip any season minus season Um, But I would say that in the case of uh, this particular season of Drag Race UK, if you're looking for a 10 episode sort of like easily digestible Drag Race experience, whether you're new, whether you watched it in the past and fell off, I cannot recommend this season enough. Um, And I also just want to give a shout out to our uh, runners up, Bimini Bamboulash and Tace, both of whom absolutely turned it out this season i think viewers uh should look forward to hearing from one of the uk girls on a podcast to come and i'm just really this uh season got me really excited about the future of drag and also just queer representation um taste is now the new face of coca-cola amazing yeah bimini bambulish was in british vogue uh, has a new book coming out that was just launched we're starting to see these girls really just wade into new territories like just just knowing that like taste is the face of coca-cola is so fucking rad and so i'm excited to see What's next for these girls? And I encourage everyone to tune in on that excellent season. I also want to send my condolences to the great Jessica Walter, uh, who we lost uh, just a few days ago. Uh, What a career. It spanned seven decades. It included 1966's Grand Prix, for which she... Grand Prix. Is it Grand Prix? Grand Prix. Yeah, you did say pricks, which is on brand. (laughs) Leave it in. Uh, 1966's Grand Prix, for which she got a Golden Globe nomination. 1971's Play Misty for Me, in which she received another Golden Globe nomination. The television series Amy Prentice, for which she won an Emmy in 1975. 1984's The Flamingo Kid, directed by Gary Marshall. The ABC sitcom Dinosaurs, which ran from 1991 to 1994, in which she portrayed Fran Sinclair, an puppet of a homemaking allosaurus come on now um but she is perhaps best known for the role of lucille bluth the matriarch on the television series arrested development i fail to conjure words that properly articulate the greatness of that performance i think for anyone listening who knows that performance perhaps you feel similarly and just it is the blueprint 
It is canonical. It is comedy greatness. It is timing greatness. It is facial greatness. It is delivery greatness. There's just, it's, uh, the character is written so well. The, the, you know, I'm going to use a base. I'm going to try to do a baseball thing. The character is a home run, but her portrayal, isn't there something bigger than a home run? Like when you get all of the people on first, second, and third base? Grand slam. Okay, the performance is a grand slam. This is a sports podcast. <laughs> and I just think that one of the great things about Jessica's performance is it, it not only is she so amazing, her presence elevates all around her. And yeah. uh, I also want to shout out the fact that she appeared as Mallory Archer on yes. 110 episodes of the FX series Archer. But I really, I, so I went back after uh, her passing and just was trying to learn more about her as a human being. I'm always really enamored by a talented person who is a good person. That said, I really do love a talented person who's a bad, not a bad person. I love a talented person who can be difficult or bitchy. That's a quality I don't mind. But Jessica, as it turns out, from what I'm reading about her, was just such a lovely human being and really witnessed this industry. Um, I want to say evolve, but I don't think we're at a point yet where we, well, well, yes, she definitely witnessed it evolve, but not evolve in the sense of like from bad to good. That's a little, uh, there's, there's a gradient here, yeah. but um, she was around, she saw a lot and she uh, just kept pushing. There's a quote from a 2019 profile that she did with Elle magazine. And she said, quote, the sad thing is that actresses of my generation, we were just taught to suck it up. The show must go on. Time is money. You never walk off set. You just keep going. Luckily, I've never had anybody be sexually abusive. But if somebody was nasty or rotten or loud, it never would have occurred to me to bring up the incident. Now I would. And I think that's just... So enormously powerful, just knowing, kind of knowing what she bore witness to, what she likely endured, and the fortitude that it gave her, um, and how she sort of had this reconciliation, whether it was, you know, in regard to the Me Too movement or or just, you know, moving through life, but that she kind of realized, had the wherewithal to say, you know what? Today, the person I am today would not have accepted the things that the person I was then either saw, witnessed, or or endured. And I, I thought that really just really stuck with me. And um, are you familiar with the, the 2018 New York Times roundtable with the cast of Arrested Development? Yes, um, and that a lot of stuff had come up about how uh, stuff she had to endure on set as well as things that the whole cast had witnessed on set. Yeah, um, I don't remember it detail for detail, but I do remember when that aired and that it was like a big deal. It's a challenging exchange. Uh, there's both a written form of this on the New York Times, and then they also release the audio from the yeah. interview. It's a round table. Portia de Rossi is not there, so as a result, it's the only two women are Jessica Walter and Alia Shawkat, are the only two women involved in the round table. And Jessica speaks to some of the behavior that she endured um, from Jeffrey Tambor, specifically on set, and the ways in which he could be verbally abusive um, towards her. And she kind of comes to this decision mid-interview. It's, it's quite it's quite a listen. I really encourage you to listen to it if, if you can, um, in which she says, I, I have to forgive you. I have to move on. In order to move on from this, I have to forgive you. And the men around her, Jason Bateman, Tony Hale, uh, et cetera, sort of come to Jeffrey's defense in a way that at best is troubling. Yeah. Um, and they later issued apologies. This this was a really big thing. It was like, uh, it was the story itself became the story. And I just think that as we, you know, continue to have conversations about the ways in which gender equality uh, 
needs to uh, be rectified in Hollywood, in and outside of Hollywood, really. Um, I think it's an interesting sort of like uh, moment to zero in on. To There's just a lot going on there. It's like, I just want to encourage people to go and either read it or listen to it um, and understanding, you know, we mentioned just now fortitude, the level of fortitude that someone like Jessica Walter had to have to get through on these sets. And I just... um. I just want to take a moment to like tip my hat to her for, for that tremendous career, for all of these great performances, and uh, she will be missed. And if you want to, I really encourage everyone. I, I love Arrested Development for the most part, but if if you are like me and kind of like uh, have a little bad taste in your mouth about some of the actors on the show, um, you can easily go through it and just fast forward to all of Lucille Bluth's scenes. There are so many good ones, and. Uh, we, we will miss her. Yeah, for sure. Anything you want to say about her? Oh, well, it's just that I've always been a fan. I didn't know until this very moment that she was in Dinosaurs, a show I loved as a kid. I had no idea that was her. I'd never double-checked that. that that's yeah, I, know. I didn't either. So great to know that. Um, I've loved her performances over the years, but of course the big ones are Arrested Development and Archer. And what I love about Archer is she's essentially the a similar character in Archer. And I think, like... It's funny. Apparently, Mallory Archer's design was created before she was cast. But the fact that she embodies that character so much and looks like the character and, like, maybe they altered it a little bit after she got cast. But, like, I just – I laughed so hard at that show for so many different reasons. And while I've loved a lot of her performances, I think Archer will always be the one that sticks out the most because I felt like by the third, fourth seasons, they just let her – do whatever and every time it was gangbusters it was always funny also the fact that you know archer as a character is so impertinent and the and his mother is just worse there's never a time where they really reconcile she's just worse and it's just always butting heads and always funny um you know i'll miss her she was a great performer uh and uh sounded like sounds like a great person as well and you know but she has a ton of great work and there's plenty of things to see um and a lot of them are very easy to find so i definitely like evan recommend that you go check out that stuff as well absolutely and hopefully you know going back to that quote that she said um you know if she had witnessed what she witnessed then now um she would say something now and i'd like to believe that there are a lot of people out there that can take a lot from a quote like that and sort of carry forward a new understanding of how they are allowed to exist in the workplace and the autonomy they have to speak up and say something when they see something or endure something that is not acceptable. I hope that having stories like Charisma Carpenter and even like this quote for Jessica Walter help to, in, not incentivize is the wrong word, but help uh, people make make people feel more comfortable, less alone, like they have the, that, yeah, that they have the autonomy to make these decisions about how they, how they deserve to be treated. Yeah. I was going to say how they should. It's not how they should. It's how they deserve to be treated. So doing a little bit of a 180, this week we also got the long-awaited announcement that season 41 of Survivor is finally in production. Now, I think some of you know I'm on this Survivor journey. I'm now into season 27 wow. right now. Wait, wh so, when yeah. we first started season two, what season were you watching? I feel like you were in single digits back then, weren't you? Oh, I had to have been. I mean, I started... With season one in April. Oh, wow. And so here we are on season 27. I know I am one season away from Kagayan, which 
I went back and read my initial tweet from April in which I asked people like, what what season should I start on? And everyone was like big into Kagayan. I heard it's like a really uh, important season. So I'm excited for that. And I also have had the pleasure of like becoming friendly with a lot of these contestants who I voice memo with on um, Instagram. And they give me kind of like behind the scenes stuff. And my God, this journey has brought me so much joy. But I am particularly excited for season 41 because I know this show as sort of like nostalgia right Right. now. I am viewing something that there's a huge community around that I had no idea about. And I'm sort of like the new girl in town being like, oh my God, like isn't Andrea (laughs) iconic? And then everyone's like, yeah, we know. I'm particularly excited for season 41 to sort of see this show in real time with people, have a week between episodes, listen to podcasts in which people are reacting in real time. Because a lot of the podcasts I listen to, like Survivor Historians, are kind of, they're doing rewatches. So it's like kind of similar in terms of they have a distance from, you know, time to really consider how these things hold up in like the lore of Survivor. But I also think what's really exciting is that a new mandate came down from CBS over the summer saying that with shows like uh, Big Brother and Survivor, they would now need to cast them with 50% people of color. And for Survivor heads out there, they will know that seasons 13 and season 14 of Survivor, so Cook Islands and Fiji, featured casts that were comprised 75% of people of color because of a sort of quote-unquote race war season that was devised by CBS. Yes, cringe. But one of the great things to come from that awful premise was that actually you got a majority POC cast on these shows. And actually in the case of Fiji season 14, you had four black contestants in the final four. So I'm really excited for this season moving forward because too often than not on Survivor, um, people of color um, come in, there are one, two, maybe three, and I'm just really excited to see this show start to, not start to, I know there was that moment many seasons ago, but really just uh, uh, correct this issue that so many of us have had with this show. The overwhelming whiteness of Survivor is finally something that will be addressed. Um, And also... Because I think so many people are discovering this show in quarantine, I don't think I'm alone in being the sort of this the late to the party uh, person here. I think that there's a group of us that are knocking on the door late. I am really curious to see if this show is going to have a huge rating spike. I think that there is going to become more of like a live tweet culture around Survivor. Maybe that's just like my desire manifesting itself as like what I think will be. But um. I am confident that this show is going to have sort of a resurgence in terms of within the zeitgeist, because I think for a lot of people, the reaction to Survivor beginning its 41st season is, oh my God, that show is still on. And I am eager for, to see if like there is sort of a second, not second wind. I mean, at this point it's like- Third, fourth, fifth wind. Yeah, exactly. I'm really curious to see. And for those of you interested, I have a story coming out. It might be out by the time this runs, but with Yahoo News and with In the Know, um, in which I interviewed a bunch of alumni from the show, talking to them about why they think Survivor is the perfect show uh, for quarantine, which I think you know is, is a really interesting read, including I got Eliza Orleans, I got Andrea, I got Fishback, I got, yeah, just so many of the greats. Uh, Sabrina from 
one world. I could go on and on. <laughs> anyway, but also if anyone out here is listening and is a survivor head, drop me a DM. I love talking survivor with people. Okay. Lastly, the last this is a big week in the news. Yeah. I mean, pop culturally for sure. Um, so lastly, I wanted to touch on Lil Nas X, who last week released the music video for his new single, Montero, Call Me By Your Name. The video, which I encourage all to watch, I'm really full of encouragements in terms of things to watch, but this one is like, I think it's like three minutes and 30 seconds. So, you know, this is this is a must. I uh, encourage people to watch. The video features the singer in a makeout session with an alien version of himself, a Marie Antoinette inspired stoning, and a lap dance with the devil. You know, if that doesn't sell you, I don't know what will. <laughs> he accompanied the release of the video with a letter to his younger self that he shared on social media. It reads, quote, I wrote a song with our name in it. It's about a guy I met last summer. I know we promised to never come out publicly. I know we promised to never be that type of gay person. I know we promised to die with the secret, but this will open doors for many other queer people to simply exist. You see, this is very scary for me. People will be angry. They will say I'm pushing an agenda. But the truth is, I am. The agenda to make people stay the fuck out of other people's lives and stop dictating who they should be. Sending you love from the future. Ugh. I don't need to articulate how powerful yeah. that is. I think it, it, it's it's all in those words. Um, but I wanted to zero in on on two specific parts of that. Um, I particularly love that the message that he was conveying here is save the fuck out of other people's lives and stop dictating who they should be. I think oftentimes when I've seen messages in this space, it seems to be particularly centered around sexuality, yeah. the sort of love is love message, let people love who they want to love. And I think that... I appreciate the way he so artfully worded this in saying, let people be whoever they want to be, regardless of gender, regardless of sexuality, regardless of anything. The core message is live and let live. And I think that is just so powerful for, and it really goes beyond just his identity as a gay black man in the music industry. It's for anyone othered that has felt any sort of persecution as a result of just being who they are. I think that's so powerful. I think a lot of people, I read this online from so many people about just a, a pride that we feel in Lil Nas X. I know a lot of uh, black gay people that I follow expressed their own sense of pride. And I think there's just, there's something really wonderful about watching Lil Nas X succeed and do it by embracing who he is in real time, by having that journey of discovery and realizing that like the parts of himself that he might've felt a need or a desire or whatever to suppress are the parts that so many people are relating to and loving about him. I think that that must be such an incredible and profound paradigm shift to discover. The other thing I wanted to zero in on is something else he said when he said, I know we promise to never be that type of gay person because I think that that really hit a nerve with me and with many people in sort of, it's a, a very inside baseball conversation as a queer person to understand that for so many of us, the journey is not just like accepting our sexuality or accepting our gender identity. It really is about accepting our ability to be who we are without the confines of what it means to be a lesbian, a gay person, a bisexual person, transgender, all of these things. There are 
there are demarcators that exist both from the heteronormative society that reigns supreme, um, the cisgender society that reigns supreme. And I, I say this reigns supreme, not, I'm not glad about it. But I, I think there's there's a message there about sort of like a perception of like what is digestible, right? right? And so like this idea that for so long, for instance, um, we talk about the fact that like the gay best friend trope that existed or the bury your gaze trope or the fact that so many trans uh, actors and actresses uh, were cast as sex workers in the 80s and the 90s when they did guest appearances on television shows. Just the ways in which um, society has so often put LGBTQ people in a certain category that is comfortable. And I think that... Um, What's so lovely about this message is not only that he now feels comfortable being out of the closet, but that he no longer feels like he has to come out of the closet and be any certain type of way. It seems, my again, I'm saying this just from you know being a fan of his and, and witnessing him the way we all are, it seems like he's embracing sort of disconnecting from the masculinity that might have been thrust upon him or he might have felt that he needed to present in order to be successful in this space. And I think at the end of the day, this is an industry, the music industry that he is a part of, and the bottom line matters. And to see this song go to number one, to it's not just the fact that like social media is talking about Lil Nas X. It's not just yeah. that. That's wonderful. But the fact that people are listening, tuning in, watching, the fact that the music industry can look at him as a success story, it does, it's not just, it's like his success becomes so many other people's success in the barriers that he is opening up for so many people. And I just, I said this on social media, but I just think like we need to declare March 26th from henceforth from here, Lil Nas X Appreciation Day, because that letter, this video, and everything that he is and that he represents the comfort with being oneself, the journey to discovering oneself, the ongoing journey. It's all such a beautiful thing. And we're lucky that we got someone who, with the panache, panache, panache? Look at me, my, my grand pricks. With someone with the panache, with and with the, I always, I, I, I love a letter like this. I love, a you know, but I, I, I particularly am, I love the way that he articulated these feelings inside of him. Yeah, what do you think? I mean, I I mean, I agree with you completely. It, it's as someone who leaned more into his queerness as he got older through other communities, you know, and just seeing people of a like mind, like seeing little Nas X go through this. And I've been a fan of his since Old Town Road. It was impossible to ignore that song. But when you look at the video for Old Town Road and now you look at his newest video and then Holiday in between is like the markers, like it just gets more queer in the most glorious way, especially with the current video and just how beautifully declaring it is who he is. I think it's magical, uh, genuinely, incredibly captivating and magical. And that he's also someone who's so open. Like I have a TikTok and I follow him on TikTok and he's genuinely funny and kind and sarcastic. And, and none of that has to do with his sexuality. But his sexuality is a part of it and who he is mm. is a part of it. And it's just delightful and, and it's powerful. Yeah, it's kind of like um, there used to be this like idea that existed. It's like gay gay people were just like <laughs> you, like we're no different than you. And it's like, no, actually, we are. We don't some maybe sometimes we are some of some of us are, but it's OK, too, to like that we're yeah. not. And I feel like he sort of shows that the path is not necessarily like conformity. The path is self-acceptance. Absolutely. Right. Not other people's acceptance, self-acceptance. 
Yeah. So from one very gay person to another very gay person, let's turn things over to our interview with Jordan Firstman. Let's do it. He is a writer for The Other Two and Search Party, who famously wrote the Ode to Laura Dern at the 2020 Independent Spirit Awards and the Criterion-approved 2017 short film Call Your Father. His other credits include Shit Jewish Bitches Say, The Disgustings, Sold, and Men Don't Whisper. He's also been coined a COVID-famous Instagram star after going from 15,000 followers at the start of the pandemic to now, as of this recording, nearly 800,000. He's amassed a huge fan base around his impressions, which range from inanimate objects to abstract concepts, all personified through himself. A-list celeb fans include the likes of Jennifer Aniston, Ariana Grande, Paul Mescal, Natalie Portman, Beanie Feldstein, Orlando Bloom, Jody Turner-Smith, Elle Fanning, Leslie Jordan, Jennifer Coolidge, Maya Rudolph, Chrissy Teigen, Dan Levy, Olivia Wilde, Sam Smith, Cynthia Erivo, and perhaps most notably, Carol Radziwill. He is gay, very gay, hilarious, deep, uncompromising, determined, hairy, and at quite times, demented. He is the hilarious Jordan Firstman. Jordan, thank you so much for being here. Bitch, she went off with that. I mean, <laughs> to reference shit Jewish bitches say, a video that I like did with my musical theater friends when I was 19. I mean, honestly, we're in a place where we're accepting of all of the past Jordans. New Jordan is different. He's a different guy, but we have love for all of the old Jordans as well. Uh, I have great love for all of those Jordans, and I think a lot of the focus of the interview today will be talking about those old Jordans and in conversation with the new Jordan, as you mentioned. Let's start by talking about the state of comedy. I'm just kidding. Um, can you start by telling me a bizarre story of something that's happened to you over the last few months that the Jordan Firstman of 2019 would never believe? Yeah, there's been a couple <laughs> The, the, one that, the one that really was the moment I was like, whoa, what the fuck, was it was the week after the round with Banana Bread's publicist. Hi. Hi, BB. Um, are you sitting down? I have some exciting news. How would you like to be Time Magazine's person of the fucking year? Yes. Yes. We did it. We did it, bitch. The plan fucking worked. It worked. I said it, I said it, this is your year. And we did it. We got everyone home. We got them a bunch of fucking rotted bananas and they just went off. They went off, bitch. And that's kind of when shit got real. It was popping and then it like popped. It was still like COVID vibes, but like I had made like a very secret plan with like two people in my pod. We're like, we're going camping. Like we're just not gonna tell anyone. And we're gonna do it and it like felt a little like scary but we were like we just want to go to the woods and like they were really excited for me and i was excited about what was happening and it felt really big i was like whoa this is fucking crazy because that was the week that like katie perry posted to her main feed then chrissy posted to her main feed and then like that was when like all the celebrities were coming and i think that's right when i got reese and jennifer Aniston too so i was just like it was a lot and I was like, okay, we're gonna like actually turn my phone off for a couple days and like just be in the woods and be in nature and like just try to chill for a second. This is also my first backpacking trip ever. And so we're going on like a three day backpacking trip near Lake Tahoe. And we're in the middle of the woods. We're the only people there. So we're about a day and a half in. We've had one night, seen nobody. 
And then the first people we see walking down the hill, we're like, oh, like, hi, hi, hi. And they're like, oh my God, Banana Bread's publicist. (laughs) 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 And we just like started screaming because we were truly in the remote woods like not a soul around for miles and miles and like my friends like didn't quite understand the like the level in which it was happening and like when that happened they're like oh wow like this is maybe real (laughs) for people that aren't familiar with you and that don't know what we're talking about can you explain that particular video Yeah, I mean, it's super simple. I just did an impression of Banana Bread's publicist because everyone was making banana bread in quarantine and posting about their banana bread. So the idea was that like Banana Bread had this publicist that basically orchestrated the whole pandemic to get Banana Bread famous. Tell me this much. Do you think that where we're at now, are we in a post-Banana Bread America in terms of the quarantine timeline? Oh yeah, we're we're five Americas past banana bread. <laughs> yeah, I feel like I I haven't even I don't even remember the taste at this point. No. And June, no. July, huge, and ever since then, I'm just oh kind of, yeah, oh know. banana bread's publicist has since fired banana bread. Ooh. It's yeah. like it's not it's not their moment anymore. <laughs> um, but what a moment it was and, and cemented yeah. by you. You've become very well known over the last few months. Vulture, as I mentioned, called you COVID famous in a recent profile and Vogue, the Vogue, called you the funniest man on the internet back in August. So tell me, how has all of this changed you? And I ask that because fame can change a person, but so can any sort of change with this sort of velocity at which you've yeah. experienced it. Yeah. And knowing you as long as I've known you, you've been in this business for a long time yes. and you You've, correct me if I'm wrong here, you've endured the struggle of trying to make it in this industry. What is it like to have this moment, especially with that perspective of knowing how long you've worked for, I don't know if it's fair to say that you've worked for this moment, but you've worked for something. Yeah, you tell me. (laughs) Yeah, no, I mean like, yeah, I was working for something that I didn't even know existed. And like, I'm so, so grateful for this moment, not just because of my career, but for what it's taught me about what life can be and what I'm capable of. I was on this track to like be a TV creator and like be it or, you know, be a TV writer who creates TV, hopefully at some point. And now I'm looking back and I was like, how limiting, how limiting is that? And like, the things that I'm doing now and the things that I'm able to do because of this freak accident that happened on the internet, it's opened my mind to different possibilities and different different um, mediums that I wanna explore and different types of art and different passions that I was kind of asleep to when I was like so laser focused on the Hollywood dream. And you know, I still have shit going on in Hollywood, but it means a lot less to me now. I hate Hollywood. It's only broken my heart. It's only treated me bad. It's given me a little bit of money, but not like the money that I'm getting from being Instagram famous. I'll tell you that much. (laughs) Like I'm struggling with it right now. Cause like you have to be in it for the love of the art. But then I also see the world changing and evolving past the art form. I'm like working on a show right now that I'm having to go through footage of old movies and movies from like the 30s and 40s. And every single movie back then had a scene where they go and watch a movie. Everyone. 
And it was like, oh yeah, America was obsessed with movies. And then I think about now and like, you wouldn't see that in a movie now because mm -hmm. we're not obsessed with movies. Like we don't care about movies actually. And like the people that are like trying to like really stick it out and make that medium happen still, all the power to them. But like, it's such a wretched, hard thing to do. And it takes years of your life that like, I'm not sure for me, it's like, I do have the like passion for that thing that will like be gone in a second in the day and age we live in. Does that make sense? It does. Yeah, totally. I do want to shout out the 2012 uh, Michael Patrick King Sex in the City film, which does play Meet Me in St. Louis in the movie, just to okay. reference. Uh, no, 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 I, I, I totally agree with you. You're correct. Yeah. And I'm saying that when I did see that 10 years ago, and I know what you mean, there are a lot of movies that I know them more as being played within other movies yeah. than I do the actual mm -hmm. reference. It's like, for me, it's like Citizen Kane is a movie yeah. that I know as a reference point more than I do a movie. Totally. So yes, yeah. I totally agree with you. We will uh, circle back to your disenchantment with Hollywood later. Yeah. But first, I was watching a September interview that you did with the Katie Couric. And in that oh. interview and a number of other interviews, you are asked to break down your own success and the methodology, et cetera. Even just now, I asked you to explain playing Banana Bread's publicist, right? It's like I'm asking you to you know, make sense of something that's quite absurd. Do yeah. you enjoy talking about these impressions or do you more see them as an entry point into bigger conversations that you hope to be having? The latter for sure. And like, I think a lot of people will come to me with interviews expecting me to be just like really charactery, really funny. And I love talking big picture about everything. And like, I love talking really abstractly. And like, I think the... The like comedy I do is like little manifestations of the bigger thoughts that I am thinking. But like, if you just sit down and talk to me, I'm not gonna be like doing characters and doing bits. Like I'm not that UCB girl. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I love that. <laughs> do you encounter a lot of people that don't get the joke? I'm reminded of a moment in your short Call Your Father where you take your prospective lover shopping and discover a $40 mug inscribed with the words, I'm Rihanna. Your lover, yeah. who seems to be around 20 plus years older than you, says he doesn't get the joke, to which you say, quote, oh, it's not a joke. You drink out of this mug and you literally are Rihanna, like for a moment. And that's a good thing, he asks. And I love that moment so much because it's so hyper-specific of two people coming from two completely different perspectives on something that, and they both see the world the way they see it. And I often think about that, that older gentleman character that you wrote. Do you ever think people like that exist that sort of see these impressions and just say, what is going on here? Yeah, I think for a lot of reasons. Like sometimes I get DMs that truly scare me. Like, like that, I'm like, oh, they're not even close to getting the joke. Like, not, they're so far removed that, like, I don't think in this lifetime they will ever learn enough to get the joke. And, like, those are the people that are now my audience. You know, mm. it's been a big lesson in, like, the, the comedy community that I was, like, seemingly, it, I won't say a part of, but on the outskirts of, like I'm realizing how insular the language is and like how it's for so few people. And like my stuff is super, super accessible, a lot of it. 
But that's why people like banana bread's publicist more than they like, like my impression of a mirror in therapy, you know? (laughs) And so that's a struggle for me because like, I want to be doing more mirror in therapy, but I know the people want banana bread's publicist. This makes me think about, you know, even the show that you write for, the other two, you know, there's a famous joke that really flies all over gay Twitter, which is Caper Lance saying, I am gagging for you, faggot. And I know that you can show the majority of people that clip and they will not understand what is so funny about that clip. So when you're speaking to sort of like the microcosm of the comedy community, that makes sense. And I guess that was one of the things that was interesting because I feel like there's a paradigm shift in terms of your audience going more mainstream. And as you're speaking to sort of having to change your brand of comedy, not even change perhaps, it's just expand as a result of having an audience who might crave something a bit more, is simplistic the word or obvious? I'm not sure, I don't wanna belittle yeah. them. Well, yeah, that's the thing. It's, I won't, I won't fully go there. I would rather them stay and like if they can tough it try to like learn as as we go and like (laughs) little by little they'll be like oh like now okay i understand what he's doing there more than i did when i first followed him um that's what i pray will happen but then i also like god it's so the temptation of numbers is so is so nuts because you're just like i can't lose I can't lose people. I remember when I was at like 80,000 followers and I was like, I'm going to chill out when I get 100,000. Like I'm good. And then like that turned into like 200, then 300, then 400. Now I'm like, I got to get a million. And like it never, it never ends. So, I mean, I'm not past that. Like I'm still, I'm like working, maybe even not even to the point of working on (laughs) that yet but I'm going to need to at some point because otherwise it's endless. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I really appreciate your candor about this subject because I think one of the interesting things about your success in this moment is that it's metric-based, right? A lot of other people, when they're having success in their life, you know, even professionally, they might feel it in terms of, you know, people might be patting them on the back more. They might get a congratulations here and there. But you have a number that you can check in with minute by minute and watch yeah. increase. And you also have an audience telling you thumbs up or thumbs down on content, essentially. Yeah. You know, it's like, and so you're able to, which is, I imagine, a virtue, right, in terms of being able to be more reactive to what you see popping. But it's also interesting because I've noticed you are at a place now where you can post a selfie, which is not the same thing as your comedy work because it's not, 
it's not artistic or maybe it is artistic. I don't want to say it's not, but it's different, right? In terms of the yeah. creative process. And that too can accrue the same amount of likes, if not more than something that might've been thought out, storyboarded, given sort of like place to sort of like be imagined, if you will. Yeah. Is that part weird? I mean, it has been. And now that honestly, this fall industries and like the like business world has caught up to me like the first couple months like i was alone with the internet and like i was exploding with the internet and then it takes it always there's always a lag period between like then the corporations come and like so this fall like the work started really hard and i don't have unlimited creative energy and like i'm putting so much creative energy into these projects like just like speaking transparently like and i keep this like hidden from the internet and it also gives me a lot of anxiety but like i haven't had a day off since september i've been like working on things every single day and like some of which have come out some of which are coming out in december some of which are coming out in like january february some for next year but like i'm writing so much i'm like doing things that i'm having to be myself so much it's it's taking so much of me and then i also have feel this obligation to keep feeding my audience that doesn't know what i'm doing behind the scenes like they could think i'm just sleeping and so it's hard because the 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 reason I was able to create like eight original ideas a week was because we were in a pandemic and I wasn't doing anything. Like it, I was just using all my creative energy and it was also a different time. I had just gone through some traumas and so I had all of this energy at the beginning of quarantine and like I was using that energy and like now my energy is like a bit zapped and I'm like figuring out how I'm gonna keep giving people what they want from me with a lower amount of energy. I do wanna get into to what you're alluding to. And maybe this, I'm gonna jump ahead in my interview questions and then dodge back. Cause I think maybe we'll, we'll get, tell me if I'm not getting to the there that I think is there. Yeah. But you wiped your Instagram of all of your content that predates March, 2018, which as someone that's known you for quite some time, bummed me out. Why did you want to erase this part of your online identity? It was so rash. And <laughs> it's actually funny. I haven't thought about it. Like it happened and then, I, and someone did it for me and I haven't thought about it. But like my sibling called me and they were like, you're getting like a lot of followers. I think you should like, maybe like clean up your feed. And I was like, okay, whatever. Here's my password. Just do it. And then like they did it. And now I'm hearing about it. I like, it was so like, I don't know. I didn't, I didn't take the time to think about it. When they originally made that comment to you to clean up your feed, are, were there specific posts that you were thinking of or specific aspects of the person that you presented on social media that you thought might be incongruous to the person that exists now? Yeah, there was like a wiping clean aspect of what happened this year. I don't know if I'm like proud of this, but it does feel like Jordan part two is here and like people don't get to know the nuances of Jordan part one, but they'll get to know it in my art if I choose to tell them in that way, like through my framing devices. I guess I don't want people to see the details of the reality of part one. I'd rather show that to them in my work. 
if that makes sense. That makes sense. I think what makes me saddest is that there's a post and a story that I want to ask you about that I can't quite recall the details, but yeah. it's one that I remember very clearly. So I'm going to tell you what I do remember. Yeah. And I hope that you're open to talking about this as I remember yeah. reaching out to you at the time about it because I was so moved by your post. And I want to say this was like, 2018 or 2019 and again fill in the gaps for me to the extent that you're comfortable you had written a pilot that hbo had expressed interest in and i think greg berlanti comes into this story somehow and as my memory serves and again i hope you'll fill in the holes but hbo rescinded what seemed like an offer for a series and you proceeded to share the emails that were exchanged on your social media and this led to what could be characterized as a mental breakdown am i getting things right here Vaguely. And okay, that po- that post, I believe, is still up. Is it? I think so, because that's this year, girl. Oh, wow. That was part of my week. Like, I had, in two days, my entire life fell apart. So, but your, this, your story is, like, vague, vaguely right. <laughs> um, and, yes, it definitely could have been characterized. I don't know if I would characterize it as a mental breakdown. I was, like, simply expressing i told the story i told the story and the only email that i like leaked was basically greg berlanti his letter to the networks telling them like i'm a genius i was gonna say i believe it was a really lovely letter if i recall. yeah 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 but if you wouldn't mind can you sort of recount the details because yeah. it seemed like what i remember again my my sad memory but what i remember is that you being really led to believe by the network that you had something and therefore by proxy really yeah. getting excited and feeling like your big break had been presented yeah. and then for it to really be the rug to be pulled out yeah i mean it was less like maybe than even that and it was a four-year process I'll tell the story really quickly. Please. But so it was, it was Call Your Father. The, it was based on Call Your Father. And I had like expanded it into a really deep, rich, beautiful world. And it was kind of like a gay intergenerational West Side story. And like, it wasn't just about the two men, but it was about the friend groups that surrounded the two men. And like, you really got in with like the young queer diverse group versus like a white fifties lived through AIDS group. And like, you saw them like, clash and have to deal with each other and like you know it was also about just aging in general and like what happens when you like forget that like life exists and someone comes in and shows you like what life is again i mean it's the proudest i've ever been of any writing i've done so i sold that show i pitched it everywhere the first time one place said yes everyone else said no the place was Sundance TV, Sundance Now. It was like their streaming platform. And so I wrote the whole series with them without a writer's room. They like didn't have money for a writer's room. So I wrote it all myself. They picked up the show. They were like, this is going to series. They're like, but we like have no money. So we need to like figure it out. And so then they asked their parent. I'm just like saying everything because like I think transparency is important. And so they like asked their parent company AMC for money. And then they base, and I had already asked a really amazing, like Tony award-winning actor to play the like lead who wanted to do it. And then the network came back and we were in pre-production at this point. Like we had line producers, we were, we were scouting locations and they're like, okay, it's still picked up, but now it's a cast contingent pickup. And then they like called me in and I like made a deck of like all the people I wanted in the show. 
and which was really inventive casting, like really good casting, way ahead of the curve casting. Like members from like Brockhampton were doing the music. They had no idea who they were. I was ahead of them and they didn't realize. And so they basically sat me down and they were like, basically we would love to cast a gay actor in this role, but there's just none famous enough. And so there's no gay actors on your list that we approve of. And it is hard to find a 50 to 55 year old gay actor that is sexy and cause he has to like fuck me a lot in the show. <laughs> and like that I'm attracted to, but is also like sad and nuanced and all of all of the things that a character had to be. And my producer called me like right after the meeting. He's like, fuck them. No, no. And I'll say my producer is Richard Legravenes, who is amazing. Uh, he He's a legend. But I was like, Richard, like they're the only people who said, yes, we have to do it. And so I was like, we just have to deal with it. I was like, this is not ideal, but like I, the story is more important to me than like the casting of this character. So then the network had completely unrealistic expectations about who they could get. They were like basically offering the lead of the show, like $15,000 per episode. And they were like, we think Mark Ruffalo would be great. And I was like, <laughs> what are you talking about and and then like once they got the fame thing in their head they would go lower and lower and lower until they eventually got to the same level as the person that i wanted but because they already had said no to them they wouldn't let me use them so then we were going below even the person that i wanted and asking straight people that didn't fit the part to do it and after, after like it was soul crushing and my body fell apart i like got all these fucking like warts on my foot and i couldn't walk like symbolically like i literally could not move forward like i was like on crutches because of fucking warts on my foot and like then i was like going into the search party writers room and just like sitting there like getting emails and crying and like it was just a horrible horrible time and then that was the first time my my therapist fired me too during that week <laughs> but it was it was a really bad time and then so finally like after 3 months of that i was just like i called them and i was like you know you fucked up like there's no kind of discussion around that you're going to give me back the show you're still going to pay me for the work. I basically was like very Jordan first about it. I was, I quoted them. I was like, you said you, I wouldn't, couldn't cast a gay actor. You don't want that out. Give me back the show. And they were like, we're so sorry. Here's the show back. And then that coincidentally, the night before I did that, I had had a dinner with Greg Berlanti just because he had seen my shorts and wanted to meet and so I emailed him the next day and I was like, hey, I have the show back if you want to read it. And then like by that, like Friday, Warner Brothers had bought it from Sundance. And then, so we had, this is a fucking long story. I'm sorry. Is it interesting to you? Yes. Yes, absolutely. Okay. okay. Then I was like, oh my God, finally, like my pain, my pain and suffering is over. Like the, the head of TV, like the main person in TV has like signed off and he's going to get it done for me. And we sent out the scripts with that letter, with the letter of Greg Berlanti being like, I don't come around this a lot, but Jordan Firstman is a visionary. And like, I trust him with whatever he wants to do, make this show. Got sent to every network. 
every single network pass, everyone. With the head of Warner Brothers putting calls in, with Greg Berlanti putting calls in, all of them said no. And then at the time it was called like Warner Media, which is now HBO Max, they kind of popped up and, you know, they owned Warner Brothers. So then we went in and we like basically pitched the show instead of sending them the scripts, we like pitched it and I fucking killed it. And they bought it in the room and they were like, we're making this like this is we're so excited about this. Like we get it. We get it. We get it. We get it. And I was like, oh, my God. Now that now we're three years after this is now three years after I pitched the show and I'm like, yeah. <laughs> Damn. So then I have the season written. I was like, great, let's do it. Let's go in. And they're like, actually, we want to go back to the beginning and rethink the whole show. And, <laughs> and I was like, I literally can't believe this is happening. But like when you love something so much, you just ha like, I didn't have a choice. And so they're like, we, we want to like buy a pilot and then a backup script. And then when I thought we were getting like a series order based on that meeting of like in the middle of the meeting, she stopped me. She's like, well, I'm buying this. So like you can finish if you want. Like it was so enthusiastic. And then, so I rewrote the pilot. Like I had evolved as an artist. So it was a better pilot than the first one. And they loved the pilot. And then I thought we were going to then go make the pilot or they were going to make the series. Then they're like, actually, and I got this news when I was in Peru the night after I did my first session of ayahuasca, like deciding whether I should stay in my relationship. And then I like got a call being like, actually, they want another script, which is like not a cool thing to do when you're like thinking you're getting to shoot something. So then I go back and then I write another script they love it then january comes and i had a meeting with one of the execs and they're like it's happening like the like it's probably going to be a pilot don't get your hopes up for a series but it's probably going to be a pilot but it's happening and then four days later i got a call that they're not doing it they're killing it and this is january 2020 yeah so now we're that got us to january 2020 I mean, I, the, the thing that is risky that I did is like, you can definitely track the exec at HBO Max that was like feeding me all of this, but I don't care. Like he should know that he did that to me and like he took away my art. I don't really care about calling him out, honestly. I'm in a different place now, but like he would sit me down and be like, Jordan, like I've never felt this way about a project. Like I will fight for this project. I will fight for it. Like I, this is my dream career project. Mm. And then he didn't even call me when, when they killed it. I had to have like Berlanti's people call me and just say, it's not happening. Like, let me ask this. So Jonathan Bennett of Mean Girls fame just got nominated for an out 100 or is one of the out 100, what's the term? Like is listed among the out 100. And the reasoning is because he is in a new gay Christmas movie coming to Hallmark and how this is somehow in 2020, how remarkable a gay Christmas movie. I find one interesting thing worth comparing this to what you're talking about is this idea of gay media celebrating heterosexuality acceptance of gay storytelling. Yeah. And yet what you're presenting is this like, not only a very nuanced depiction of gay living, but intergenerational gay living, which 
and we'll talk about Call Your Father in a moment, but is, is itself just an explosive concept to get into because of the disparities between the generations. And then not to mention that you are a gay person writing this on top of it all. Was there any part of it in addition to it? Oh, you also have like Greg Berlanti. You have gay people in Hollywood with power vouching for you. Is it demoralizing in any sense to think that you see other gay work getting made, no disrespect to Hallmark Christmas movies, yeah. but you see that work not only getting made, but getting praised, you know, out 100 worthy, if you will. Yeah. And then you see work like this that, you know, as you've mentioned, you've, you've poured your heart and soul into it and it's surrounded by gay scribes in every sense of the creative process and it gets sidebarred. Yeah. It's been really hard because also like I have felt the gays kind of leave in my ascension and i get it i'm like yeah i get why gay shows don't get made because the second success gets in the picture the gays are like fuck you there's too much internalized shame we can't let we like we want to let each other succeed but something inside of us does not let it happen and so that's why the straight stories that are the gay stories for straight people thrive and not the gay stories for gay people. It's like, they're always saying there's not an audience. I'm like, bitch, if 10% of the world is gay, that's a lot of millions of people, you know, that's enough for a TV network. Yeah, uh, this reminds me of a conversation I had with Bianca Del Rio years ago in which Bianca was saying when he would get up there and perform as Roy, People weren't listening. Gay people didn't want to say, no, actually, excuse me. This was Guy Branham. This was an interview I did with Guy Branham in which Guy talked about the fact that people would rather stand up and applaud a drag queen, a gay man impersonating a woman, than they would stand up there and applaud another gay man because yeah. of this internalized homophobia, if you want to carry, I mean, whatever you want to call it, but there's some, as you're saying, it's like, and you know, I know women deal with this as well amongst their own. Yeah. There's just this idea of people not wanting to support people like them because of, you know, you can call it jealousy, you can call it a number of things, but that's interesting. This is controversial, but I think women have at least figured out how to fake it mm. and show up and support via numbers. That's what we need to be, like, I don't need to be happy for a gay thing that I don't think is good, but I do think if I want to see more gay things, I need to show up and watch it at least. Like, we need the numbers and the financials to be yes. there to get to do it in a better way. And like gay people really just struggle. Yeah, uh, I th I, this is my own opinion. I think there's some nuance to this, but I think that there is some apathy towards gay men who find great success on social media by putting in the bare minimum. And the yeah. reason why I think you are different and why I'm such a fan of yours and have been a fan of yours for a long time is because there's a there there. There's an artistic offering that this is a window to which a prism into something more. I feel like often the case with a lot of people that have viral success on these accounts doing TikTok dances or what have yeah. you, I think a lot of that frustration grows from the, or the lip syncs. That's another big yeah, thing where like yeah. people get famous, you know, they get Netflix yeah. specials for lip syncing. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of apathy from people or, or jealousy or what have you, just because it's sort of asking, okay, well, you're doing something anyone can do. And I think in the case with you and why, why I'm excited to see the many places I know your career is going to go is because there's so much more to offer outside of just these impressions. But for a lot of people, that's all that they have. And I think that's where that frustration grows. But to your point, it's like, yes, I think that gay men specifically have a hard time with the success of other gay men. I mean, you can also look at Pete Buttigieg and the idea that 
of course, many people are not going to support Pete Buttigieg within our community because he is quite moderate. But yeah. the vitriol, the idea that people would go out of their way to dunk on him yeah. more than they would another candidate, I thought was notable. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk a bit about the short Call Your Father, which I think explores themes that we don't often get into in our queer cinema. There's a sex scene in which you ask this older gentleman to fuck you. He doesn't have a condom and therefore says that he can't. It's okay, I'm on prep, you tell him. What about STDs, he asks. Do you have any, you respond? Nope, he says. Can I trust you, he asks. Oh my God, are you serious, you respond. Of course not. Before a big, slightly sinister, slightly adorable smile comes over your face and you begin fucking. It's both hyper-stylized and quite realistic, and I think it's in that exchange that we see so clearly what the Jordan Firstman experience is. We get that sort of like window into your beautiful brain. What were you trying to say with this film? It happened so long ago, and I think there's things in it that I didn't even know that I was saying. It came from experience at that point and me trying to figure out why I was going for all these older guys and why they were going for me and try to like really examine like why both of us were attracted to each other. Cause like at the time I was like dating a lot of 50 year olds and like time after time I would have these experiences like where we'd get to a place where we're like, what are we doing? Like why, like why, like this is so like, obviously this isn't going to work. And so I kind of just wanted to talk about that. You can intellectualize something, but like when it hits you in your heart, it changes. And I had like just seen the Falsettos revival Mm. and like it just like took me out. And like that was that was a big moment in the conceiving. Actually, I had already made the short, but that for the show, that was like, I was like, oh my God, like. I feel it. I feel AIDS. And like, you know, I have my own personal experience like I think a lot of gay men have their own personal experience with AIDS no matter the age I think it's like lessening and lessening but I think especially our generation where we weren't in it but we weren't out of it it's just a really interesting thing and like my early 20s I was hanging out with so many 40 and 50 year old gay men that like I also saw their pathologies and I saw the things they talked about and I saw their shortcomings. So I just wanted to write about it. And like, I think a lot of people felt it, it was disrespectful at times to the older generation, but I see it like as a love letter because I'm like showing a pretty deep understanding of them. Yeah, no, I walked away from it having a better sensitivity towards the older gentleman than I did our generation. Right before the film ends, your character is pretending or maybe not pretending to hang himself in front of his date. The date decides to leave and before leaving doubles back to tell you to quote, call your father. How reductive you respond, which has me curious. And I think this is going to be a general theme that I want to explore more with guests in general. What is your relationship like with your father? Um, it's evolved so much. Like we have struggled, never been a gay thing, never been a masculinity thing. I think we've intellectually struggled and we've struggled with the concept of success. And like, I think I resented some of his failures in a way that was maybe unfair. And he maybe resented some of my successes in a way that was unfair. Like we have, we have an interesting dynamic that like kind of transcends gayness, but it it's, it maybe actually feels more Jewish. Um, but yeah, I mean, like we're good now though. Like I think he's 
he wants me to talk to him more. I don't have that instinct <laughs> to want to do that. It feels like a little bit of a chore, but I do still love him. But it's like not, I don't think of him as a friend. <laughs> um, and I, my time is very limited. So like, I'd rather call a friend, but I do like him and love him. Good. I'm glad to hear that. Going back to the film, you are quite naked in this film, as you are also in your short, Men Don't Whisper. Also in the older version of your Instagram now, archived somewhere, you were also quite naked quite often. I want to talk about your body. I think yeah. a lot of what I find so sexy about you is your lack of adherence to the gay stereotypes of hotness, mainly abs and hairlessness. Yeah. And you and I talked months ago about the onslaught of male attention you were getting amidst your rise in popularity, attention that you might not previously have gotten. Yeah. How do you think about your looks with regard to the gay community's perception of beauty? And I realize that we're speaking in stereotypes and generalizations. I just want to yeah. point that out. But I just find it interesting because you are someone who just so proudly shows off your body. I know you are thirsted after quite often. I can imagine some things are going down in your DMs. Yeah, it's hard. It's it's really tough because I do I do want to start to shift the perception that like, you can be really sexy and have some body fat and like not be jacked and be super hairy everywhere and be smelly. <laughs> That's another thing that like, you know, it like I wanna, I wanna challenge all of those things. And especially as I like, it's not even just a gay thing. Like I'm starting to move into the fashion space, which is like kind of iconic that they're letting me in. And like, the, I have some stuff coming out that's like more in line with that, but it's been really interesting to like see them be down. Yeah. But then there's the other side of me that just last night I was on that, I was on that app that puts your face on other body, other mm -hmm. faces. Oh, Reface, yeah. I was on Reface and like, I did like one with like Vin Diesel and then like one with Maluma. And I was like, okay, I need to get jacked. Like, sorry, I just do. Like, so there, there is the other part of me that's like always still wants that body that, you know, society wants people to have. Mm -hmm. I'm like, I like my belly. I think my belly is sexy, but I want to try being really jacked for a little bit and see, see what that is giving. And, and then like not be afraid to like lose it as well. Does that make sense? It does make sense. I feel like you're going to be a nightmare, Jack. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Probably. But like, that's the thing about me is every, every step of my life, people are like, you're going to be a nightmare when that happens. And then that happens. And I'm like, still pretty much the same, I, which is half of a nightmare and half not a nightmare. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you mentioned like you're entering these fashion spaces and I think one of the big shifts that I'm seeing within the fashion world is sort of like the power balance because the way, you know, I look at people like you or I look at people like, you know, Benito Skinner or something that are occupying these spaces when, within fashion. But you are doing these brands a huge favor. I mean, more often than not, you have much bigger followings and much more engagement because engagement. fashion brands famously lack engagement. It's a yeah. huge issue within fashion is that everybody wants fashion, but no one really wants. It's not like a big part of the discourse. I think that's why you see people like Billie Eilish and people like Harry Styles 
being a part of fashion campaigns to get people talking. So right. is there ever a part of you with your growing success right now that kind of looks at, again, going back to the numbers, looks at the numbers and says, yes, this is a space that like I've never really occupied. And yet you do have a place in this. You are, you can see the way in which this brand is benefiting from having you be a part of it. Is that weird? Yeah. I mean, I see it more with press because like at this point, honestly, like my content costs money. It has to. And then with press, they've gotten around these rules where they're like, make a full video for us for free when we have like 0.5 of the engagement you already have. We're only going to gain from you and not pay you at all. Right. Like that's where it starts pissing me off. Cause I'm like, I'm giving you, I'm giving you the thing. And it's like under the guides of like press makes you like more famous, but I'm like, no, it doesn't like it's not. But I think that's a shift that's happening in real time right now that you're sort of pointing out that I think is really fascinating. And I am curious to see how agile fashion, notoriously a, a not agile industry to say the yeah. least. I'm curious to see how they're going to react moving forward as people like you come up and sort of upend their traditional systems of how they do things. Totally. The brand that I'm working with now, I was really shocked at the creative freedom that they gave me. I pitched them the idea I wanted. I was like, this is a brand. They're not going to say yes. And they were like, let's do it. And then like, they got in the way less of my creative process than anything I've ever worked on. I've worked on like short films with people getting in the way of my creative process more. So like, I'm kind of like, yeah, let's do this more. Like, this is great. Totally. Matt has a question for you now. Yeah, I do. First, I want to thank you as a queer man and a Jewish man and a hairy man for your openness on social media. It's really actually like, I'm sure you struggle the same way I do. You're talking about wanting to get jacked, but then I look in the mirror sometimes at my belly and go, no, I like this. I'm happy yeah. with this. Yeah. And then there's other days where I'm like, ugh, I'm disgusting. Look at all of this, you know? And so it's just nice to see other men who look like me in the queer space online, because what Evan says is true. A lot of queer men like have a certain look and that's fine, but yeah. like, I don't see myself a lot. And so it was yeah. really cool to see that. I want to talk about your social media, especially since you're talking about deleting all of those Instagram posts and how you curate your content. You know, social media can feel like a double-edged sword sometimes. It can show the best and the worst of humanity, especially this year in 2020. For folks like us who use it as a main promotional tool, how do you keep yourself from doom scrolling and like just passing out from all of it. And how do you balance promotion and personal time? Because I know you just said before, you kind of work all the time. So like, how do you separate that? How do you keep yourself from just going crazy? I mean, if I'm being honest, right now, I'm in a phase where all of it feels like work. There is no sense of pleasure. I used to like, get so excited for the impressions and so excited for the secrets and now it's like people being like secret secret secrets like just like begging for them and it makes me not want to do them and like i am like naturally like a punk if someone tells me to do something i don't want to do it but then i'm like i'm having to be like an adult fucking businessman for the first time in my life being like this is making me money now and so like, I have to do it and it's not going to be good if I don't want to do it. So I have to make myself want to do it. Yeah. I think my spirit is really transparent and people can always tell when I'm not in it. Always. Mm -hmm. And like, I see, and you see it with the numbers. 
again, one of the interesting things about being able to see analytics. Yeah. Last question before our lightning round, before we finally end. Briefly, to the extent that you're comfortable talking about it, I don't know a lot about sort of the, the money side of what one can make. I'm not asking you to like send over any like, you know, your tax information, but I am curious. I imagine your financial situation has changed over the past couple months from 2019 to 2020. As an artist, you know, artists are not notorious for making a ton of money. What is it like to suddenly be making money for your creative self? I imagine there has to be some kind of validation that comes from seeing your work not only become popular, because that's one thing, but yeah. to actually see a monetary gain. I'm still processing it. It doesn't like feel real. Because truly, like I started the impressions in April. They were already getting big by May, June, July. And like the most I would see is like get an offer for like a couple thousand dollars to do a thing. And then so, I don't know what happened, but then September came and all of a sudden the offers were like insane. And then I just was like, whoa, okay. But I will say the artist part of it is like, it is hard for me to be like, swipe up to find more about like, it's really hard for me. I was on a shoot yesterday where like, I had a little bit of like, during the shoot, I had an existential crisis and like the clients were like on the computer. And I was like, guys, like, can I just not? And like, they wanted to make me happy, but then there was like talk of like off screen. And like, I ended up just like being like, Jordan, they're paying you, just say swipe up, just say it. Like you can say swipe up, but it is like, it's tangibly like selling your soul. I'm like, yeah. they, I said, I didn't want to say something. They were like, we're paying you. I have sold my soul a little. It reminds me of like when these luxury complexes go up and, you know, like a CVS comes and wants to occupy the basement floor. That's not even a good example because the CVS is good. But, you know, like one like a uh, one of those banks that no one uses comes and it's kind of like, this is real estate, right? And it's like, you want the best possible tenants within your real estate. And so sometimes you have to concede because there's going to be a high paying renter who, you yeah. know, might not look as exactly yeah. the way that you want your building to look. Yeah. Okay. Last couple of lightning round questions before I let you go. What would you say is your biggest insecurity? Hmm. My biggest insecurity, I would say I struggle with not being liked, I guess. Like, I think that the idea that people think I'm cheesy or annoying, the thought that people think that I'm annoying, yeah, or cheesy or corny or not cool. I'm like, I have a cool complex, which is like, not cool in it of itself. At the rap party for season two of Search Party, one of like the head writers who was a UCB, he was a head of UCB for a while. And he was like, Jordan, I have never met someone who is so, you're the most confident and most insecure person I've ever met. And I was the head of UCB. <laughs> <laughs> I like the addendum. Yeah, so I think I do, I think like, in the last year, the, the like confidence has surpassed the insecurity, but like there is always this like balance. And I do think it's part of what makes like me be able to be an artist. Cause like, if I was just the confidence part, like I wouldn't have the struggle that I need to like, to make things, mm. you know? If you could top any Hollywood celebrity, who would it be? Ooh, okay. Who's got like, a big fat ass. <laughs> God, I hate the person that's coming to mind because I actually don't want 
to. Like, I really don't want to, but I do think like Chris Pratt's ass would probably be really nice to fuck. Mm. Totally. But I always get his name wrong, but the one I, the one I want to fuck the most, and I wouldn't call him a Hollywood celebrity, but he is an actor. And he is like, if you ask me what my type is, it's him. I think you've actually corrected me on his name before. Luis Gavrell. Gavrell. Right? Yeah. From Little Women. I don't even know him. Oh my God. Someone corrected me on his name. Luis Gabriel, I think is his name. From the movie? Yeah. There was another man besides Timmy? The hotter one. Oh, um, no, I didn't correct you on that. But no, that is a really, um, no, I'm not, I'm not really overly familiar. Oh my I know God. Him from that go, movie. Go like Google search. Run the walk. He's the hottest. Yeah, you're into like posting like hot. Got you posted yeah. something hot today, right? Probably. <laughs> oh yeah, Frank Ocean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yes. oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. yeah. I mean, Hello. Frank also trying, yeah. trying. If you hard. could bottom any Hollywood celebrity, who would it be? Ooh. Does it have to be? Does it have to be Hollywood, or could it just be celebrity? No. Yeah. Let's expand. I would love Maluma to destroy me. Mm. Good call. If you could feud with any Hollywood celebrity, who would it be? Ooh, feud. I think actually like me, me and Taylor having a feud would be really funny. I concur. Like, and like, I, like, I think we would both be like down. Yeah. Yeah. I really look forward to the day when like she sort of allows that aspect of the personality that I know exists within her. Yeah. Um, to become, come yeah, 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 exactly. That would be, I, I really look forward to that. Let's yeah, manifest she's that. Protect, she's protecting herself right now. And like, actually what we want is like- Mess. We like what is actually there. Yes. Last two, who or what makes you laugh? Honestly, f- friends. Like- real real life interaction it's very oh, not real. the tv show <laughs> <laughs> no i i think friends is genuinely funny like Me i watch, i watch a lot and I'm like these jokes slap meg stalter every time makes me laugh and then just like being with friends and like finding the joke i will i will say i another reason i think the impressions do well is because like they do feel like you're finding the joke with me. Like you're, mm-hmm. we're together and like on mushrooms and like laughing our ass off and like we find a concept. So like, that's when I laugh the most is like when you find the joke with your friends. Yeah. Last question. What is your ideal trajectory for your career at this moment? And I asked that with the understanding that that could change in a heartbeat. But at this moment, where do you want to see things go? I want to like keep following the fun stuff. Like I'm getting so many random offers, like stuff in the fashion space. They want me to like write and direct a high brow porn, which I'm interested in. Like I want to follow all the fun little things, but then the main core is like, I do have the next show and it means more to me than call your father. Like it, it occupies a bigger space inside of me. So that's in the works and like that, I think once, once like that happens, I'll know what the rest of my life is going to be like, but like that needs to happen before I could even like think about what's next. 
Fair. I want to thank you so much. I know your time you. is valuable and I really appreciate not only you coming on, but I appreciate sort of having these more introspective conversations about queer existence, particularly what you're talking about with the ways in which gay men don't always support gay men. I know I am very actively one of those people that very publicly does not support gay men from time to time, but I think there's nuance to be had here. And I think that there are many ways in which gay men can actively support one another. And, and so it's, yeah. it's nice to, yeah, back and forth about that. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks. This is, I, I like conversations that go there. So many are, so many are not willing to. Shut up, Evan. Shut up, Evan. Shut up, Evan, if that is your real name. <laughs> Shut Up Evan is produced by Matt Storm, with associate production by Ryan Killian Kraus, and social media by Sean Ross. An extra special thank you to our Patreon supporters, without whom none of this would be possible. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com.